Hi everyone, it's episode 203 of the SSR podcast. We are long overdue for a Q&A episode, so today I am getting to your listener questions. You asked me about all kinds of things. Obviously, reading and podcasting, but other topics too. I'll be back next week with your usual Throwback Reads programming, but in the meantime, I hope you enjoy this episode. Before I get to your questions, I have a few reminders and housekeeping matters. First off, if you're listening in July or August of 2022, there is still time for you to support the campaign I've put together for the Bridget Alliance, an organization that aims to get people the access they need to safe abortions. Given the recent overturning of Roe v. Wade by the Supreme Court, this is obviously of critical importance. Two weeks into this six-week campaign, we have raised more than $1,300, and I am looking forward to rallying even more for this cause. I've called this little undertaking SSRFU for shit she is really fired up, and you can sign up for as little as $5 to receive exclusive content and informational resources directly to your inbox every Monday. Best-selling authors and beloved podcasters from the SSR family have contributed their thoughts, which is very cool. Learn more and sign up at the link in my Instagram bio, at SSRpod. While you're there, be sure you're following along. Instagram is also a great place to share about the podcast if you're enjoying it. Post a screenshot of this episode to your Instagram story and tag it so I can see. Next week, the Patreon Book Club, also known as SWR or Shit We Read, begins our August read, Olga Dies Dreaming by Zochi Gonzalez. As a member of the book club, you get access to lots of other bonus rewards while also supporting SSR. Get more details and join us at www.patreon.com slash SSRpodcast or by going to www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. I am so grateful to all of the patrons listening now. This episode is brought to you by Kensington's newest titles, The Last Mile and The Last Goodnight by Kat Martin. Kat Martin is a New York Times bestseller and regularly lands on all kinds of best of lists, especially those that are specific to thrillers and suspense. The Last Good Night is the first in her new series, and The Last Mile follows it up. Both books are perfect for fans of Indiana Jones, Sandra Brown, and all things romantic suspense. You can find them wherever books are sold. Find out more at kensingtonbooks.com. A fun new development in SSR land. I'm now partnering with Inkwell Threads to bring you 20% off on all kinds of bookish swag. I recently purchased a shirt from Inkwell Threads that says, read books and fight the patriarchy. It's soft and cute and makes a statement and I am generally obsessed with it. Shop the whole collection at www.inkwellthreads.com SSRpod or use code SSRpod at checkout to cash in on that 20% off offer. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. 
again, let's get into your questions. Thanks to everyone who submitted them on Instagram and elsewhere. I had so much fun reading through them. First up is a question about podcasting in general. What advice would you give to those wanting to start their own podcasts, especially related to technical aspects? My number one piece of advice for any aspiring podcaster is to give yourself plenty of time to make a plan and put it together. In the four years since I launched SSR, there are even more free resources and how-tos out there to walk you through every step of the process. Google and YouTube are your best friends here. Take the time to research, then pencil in your first episode for a few months out. Since day one, I've used the Asana project management tool to track progress on each of my episodes. I can't recommend an application like this enough. To get started, all you really need is a microphone. My microphone is a Yeti brand, and I've been using it since the beginning. You can start with the headphones or AirPods that you have already, or invest in a pricier pair, but you don't need anything fancy. If you want to do interviews, I recommend Squadcast for remote recording, but if you're doing solo shows, you can record directly into free recording software like GarageBand, which might already be on your computer. You can also edit in GarageBand. Those are some technical basics, but that's obviously just the tip of the iceberg. Feel free to send me a DM if you have any other specific questions. And let me know if you decide to start a pod of your own because I would love to check it out. Next question. If you were a guest on your own show, which book would you pick to cover? After more than four years of recording SSR episodes, I almost feel a little desensitized to this question, but if I can take myself back to the start of things, I think I might have chosen Running Out of Time by Margaret Peterson Haddix. I got to cover this childhood favorite of mine back on episode 57, and it was a lot of fun. As a guest, I would also probably be pretty excited to dig into Meg Cabot's Princess Diaries series. We talked about the first installment in that series all the way back on our second ever episode, but I hope to explore some of the other books in the future. Someone asked if it would be fun to have another family member guest on the pod. For those who don't know, my mom was my guest on episode 47, which was a Mother's Day episode of sorts, and my husband Matt joined me for January of 2020. I adore my family, but at this point, I'm honestly not sure that I would have any of them on the show. Once I start inviting more loved ones on the podcast, I feel like I would risk making others feel left out, and I'm just not sure it's a good idea to mix personal feelings in with the show at this point. Plus, I would hate for any of them to feel pressured to perform in any specific way now that SSR has a higher profile. That being said, I am so grateful to have had the support of so many of my family members and friends as I've made my way on this podcasting journey. Speaking of which, here's another question. Do your friends in real life know about the pod? What do they say, think, etc.? They do. SSR has become such a big part of my life that it would be hard to keep it off anyone's radar. It's not really my personality to talk about work or other accomplishments in casual conversation, so I don't often bring SSR up myself, but it always means a lot when people ask about it or notice the progress it's made. I don't have any expectation that friends or family members listen to the show consistently. It's pretty niche subject matter, and I don't expect it to be for everyone. Every once in a while, though, someone will go out of their way to let me know that they tuned into a specific episode about a book they know and love, which is cool. I always find it awkward when I meet someone new and the podcast comes up later on, especially if the person is a big reader and is familiar with any of my previous guests. What book for the podcast has surprised you the most, in a good or not good way? I've had so many surprises over the years. J.K. Rowling has obviously proven to be a huge disappointment. 
As a kid, I was a Harry Potter super fan, and it's been a surprise to me that I haven't felt comfortable exploring that universe on the podcast, given the author's incredibly problematic takes. I did an episode on Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone a few years ago, but I wish I'd had a fuller picture of J.K. Rowling's beliefs at the time of that recording. As far as other books that I've covered on the show and been surprised by, I think I've been pleasantly surprised by the depth of a lot of the Babysitter's Club titles. Many of those titles have also been shockingly unproblematic, which we love to see. I've also enjoyed revisiting Walk Two Moons, Amelia Bedelia, and Because of Winn-Dixie. Nancy Drew, on the other hand, has really proven to be a letdown. Another podcast-related question. What book would be your dream book to cover on the podcast? Dream guest? I'm not sure I would say that I have a dream book to cover, but there are always a handful that I'm excited to look at in the future. I'm hoping to do one of the Mary-Kate and Ashley mystery books, Nothing But the Truth by Avi, Bloomability by Sharon Creech, Hope Was Here by Joan Bauer, The Wanderer by Sharon Creech, and Matched by Ali Condi. The list goes on, honestly. I have so many dream guests, too. I have been unsuccessfully DMing Monica Padman from Armchair Expert every few months since the beginning of the show. I would also love to have Glennon Doyle on, maybe with Abby Wambach and Amanda Doyle from We Can Do Hard Things. We have so many amazing authors already booked for future episodes, so I don't want to give anything else away, but it would be a dream to have Kylie Reid on at some point. She is the author of Such a Fun Age, and I was lucky enough to work closely with her while I was getting my MFA. There are a handful of questions here about my MFA program, so let's do those next. How has your approach to books changed since getting your MFA? Is there anything you notice more or less? In my reading life in general, I've definitely become a bit more critical since studying fiction so closely for two years. I'm more aware of things like narrative perspective and unnecessarily flowery word choices. I also pay more attention to the specifics of character development and probably have a lower threshold for unanswered questions in the books that I read. Someone wanted to know why I decided to get my MFA and why I did it when I did. For those who don't know, I recently graduated with my master's in fiction from Temple University. I started considering getting my MFA when I was in my mid-20s, but decided to get serious about it at the end of 2019 after going through some personal losses and realizing that my number one goal, becoming a published author, was still feeling out of reach. I knew that if I could get some structure around writing fiction and that if I could get more comfortable sharing my work with others, I might actually be able to make some headway on becoming a novelist. I'm glad I waited as long as I did to go for it because I was ready to commit to the process and to hold myself accountable to my own goals. After a decade of working in the so-called real world, I also had a good toolkit of time management strategies, which made the experience more doable, even amid working full-time and in a global pandemic. Pursuing my MFA did give me the structure and the push I needed to take fiction more seriously, and I finished the first draft of my novel earlier this summer. I'm currently waiting for feedback from a group of beta readers whose critiques I will use to guide revisions before I seek out an agent. If all goes as planned, I'll be able to start that process this fall. I've talked quite a bit about my writing on Instagram, so I got a few more questions about it to answer today. People asked to hear more about the book and about my experience writing it. For whatever reason, I'm feeling a little weird about sharing details of the plot widely at this point, but I promise you will be the first to know when I'm ready. For now, I'm happy to say more about the writing process. The novel was inspired by some social media rabbit holes I found myself tumbling down at the height of COVID lockdown. 
based on a fair bit of productive social media stalking, I created outlines of my five narrators. From there, I outlined the first five chapters of the novel, each of which is narrated by one of those voices. I wrote those five chapters, reread them, and did some basic editing, then outlined the next series of five chapters. I continued like this until I had a very rough first draft. Once that was done, I did about five more rounds of editing. I completed most of those rounds by simply reading the manuscript from start to finish. One time around, I read the full character arc of each narrator, skipping my way through the chapters, highlighting their points of view. Like I said, I'm now waiting for feedback from other readers. My number one tip for aspiring writers is to simply get some words on a page every day. Once I picked up momentum, I started tracking my weekly word count to stay on track with my progress. Resist the urge to edit yourself as you go. And I can't say enough about the importance of writing about things you are obsessed with, even if you think they might be a little weird. I actually run an online writing community if you want to flex your own fiction muscles. You can learn more at www.patreon.com slash ahkwriters. It's been a lot of fun, and I know that our members have seen great results in their own work since getting started. If you were to co-author a book with another writer, who would you want to share that experience with? I've been reading a lot of books by co-authors recently, and I think it must be such an interesting process to write a whole book with another person. I chat about it in depth on episode 191 with Rachel Lippincott and Allison Derrick, the authors of She Gets the Girl, who are partners in work and life. So I recommend checking that out if you are similarly fascinated by the idea. I've always had a lot of writer friends in my life. Even when I was little, I seemed to attract people into my circle who enjoyed writing stories. It would obviously be a dream to collaborate with many of the people I've met through the podcast on a book one day, but from where I sit right now, it might be even more special to share that experience with a friend. I won't name any names, but those people probably know who they are, and if you're ever up for writing a novel, you better let me know. I think we'll make it pretty fun, and we will definitely have good snacks. In addition to the work I've been doing on fiction, I've been working as a full-time freelancer for about five and a half years. The kind of work I'm doing is always shifting based on my availability and what I'm most interested in and, quite frankly, what pays the best given my current circumstances. But broadly speaking, I write, edit, manage content, and edit podcasts. A few people asked to hear a little bit more about freelance writing specifically and about the process of placing stories and outlets online and in print. I'm going to assume that this question is coming from someone who hasn't yet dipped their toe into freelancing, and I hope this advice will be helpful. As a new freelancer, you will, for the most part, be the one coming up with ideas for the stories you write. This is called pitching, and it is by far the most challenging part of writing freelance, at least for me. If you haven't written for an outlet before, it's good to spend some time exploring what they've already published before you start brainstorming ideas of your own. From there, you can usually find contact information for relevant editors on the outlet's website or on Twitter. The best hack for tracking down editors on Twitter is to search the name of the outlet and review the results in the People tab, since editors will typically include the sites and magazines they work for as a tag in their bio. You'll write an email to this contact, pitching the story idea and sharing about why you're the right person to write it. If they're interested, they'll circle back and chat with you about deadlines and payment. Never, ever, ever write a story for free when you're getting started. Once you build a relationship with an editor, they may start bringing story ideas to you and giving you assignments so that the pressure isn't 100% on you to pitch. Every case is a little different, of course, but that's how it usually works, big picture. 
As a freelancer, I've been working full-time from home since September of 2016, and I see another question here about tips for self-motivation and organization for others who are doing that. When so many people shifted to remote work around March of 2020, I was glad to have some experience with this to offer friends. I'm naturally a pretty organized, routine-addicted person, so I could talk about this stuff forever. A few major suggestions that come to mind. Get yourself a good planner. I'm a big fan of the Passion Planner and have been using their products for years. This isn't an ad, I promise. If you're working from home or working for yourself, you may not have as much oversight from a manager or supervisor, so it's that much more important that you find a system to track your own progress toward goals and deadlines. Figure out something that works for you and stick to it. I'm a big believer in making daily to-do lists the night before. This allows me to jump right into my day instead of wasting time trying to figure out what has to get done. And I think that sets the tone for my productivity. If like me, you love the feeling of checking things off your to-do list, actually write down items like email maintenance. When you know that you'll get to mark that little X or check, you will actually clean out that inbox. Don't put too much pressure on yourself to have the whole work-life balance thing figured out. I'm not sure that this kind of balance actually exists in 2022, especially if you're working from home, and there might be days when it's hard to compartmentalize. It's okay. If the balance feels off one day, decide that you're going to shift it tomorrow. Also, make sure you're taking breaks to drink lots of water and move your body. I probably shouldn't be surprised about this, but there are a lot of questions about my dog. For those who don't know, I have a golden retriever named Irving, or Irv, and he's the real star around here. I always say that people come to SSR's Instagram for the books and podcast news and stay for the dog content. Let me run through some of these Irv questions. Which fictional dog do you think has the most in common with Irv? Irv's cartoonish mannerisms remind me so much of the dog from Up. I know that's kind of an easy answer because they just like look so much alike, but it's not just that. Irv has such googly eyes and he's so expressive and just channels a lot of that Doug energy. When I reread Because of Winn-Dixie for episode 127 of the show, I was also struck by how much Winn-Dixie reminded me of Irv. If Irv were to have a children's book written about him, what would it be called? Matt and I were actually just joking the other night about how Irv should write a series of books called Random Things I'm Afraid Of, Volume 1, 2, etc. So that's an option. But I'm not sure that would be ideal for kids. If there was a book written about him, a good title might be A Good Boy's Guide to Good Sleep because he has incredible sleeping abilities and is well qualified to help little ones stick to their bedtimes, break their fears of the dark, or actually stay in bed instead of wandering out to find their parents, although it is very important to Irv to be with his parents when he's sleeping. I'm visualizing some really cute illustrations of him all snuggled up in different locations in the book, and now I just need to see it in real life. This Irv-related question brings us back to basics. When you're looking to get a dog, how did you decide on a golden retriever? I grew up with lots of incredible pets, but I was especially close to our family golden retriever, Jake. Jake lived to be 17 or 18 and died in 2017, about a year before we got Irving. Even before we got Jake when I was 12 or so, I was always drawn to goldens, and Jake was such a special guy that I always kind of assumed I would get a golden retriever myself one day. They have such nice temperaments, and while the shedding is less than ideal, I felt like I knew what I was getting into when we decided to get a golden. Matt had never had a dog, so it was really important that I felt confident about what we were doing. Someone else said, lately you have been pretty vocal about wanting a second dog. If you were to get a second dog, 
Would it be a golden retriever or would you want a different breed? I'll be honest, I have been pretty vocal about wanting a second dog in the privacy of our own home for a few years now. But yes, I have started talking about it more publicly, mostly because I want everyone listening to feel empowered to start a letter writing campaign to Matt to convince him that it's time for us to grow our furry family. I think we would probably like to get another golden retriever, but now that we have more space and can accommodate a pal who has some extra needs, I am definitely more interested in rescuing a dog. Irv came from a cute little family farm, not a breeder or a puppy mill or anything like that, but rescuing is such an important thing to do. I've been following Bunny's Buddies online, and I'm sure there are other organizations out there doing similar work. For a dog who wasn't a rescue, Irv has his share of idiosyncrasies and anxieties, so I think we're more than equipped this time around. I could talk about Irv for the next few hours, but I'm going to shift into book talk mode. I was asked how much time a day I read. On weeknights, I generally read for anywhere from an hour to two and a half hours. Matt and I have been trying to watch less TV since we moved into our new house, so that's been helping. I've also been making a real effort to reserve long blocks of time to read on the weekends too, especially if there's a book I want to really get into or finish. On Saturday and Sunday afternoons, I'll usually sit down with a book for longer stretches, maybe three or four hours depending on what we have planned. What are your most anticipated books coming out in the second half of the year? There are always so many. Honestly, I feel like I'm not as on top of upcoming releases as other creators in the book space because of the podcast's focus on throwback reads. So I typically find myself learning about a new book a week or two before it releases and then immediately adding it to my TBR. I know that's not a great answer to the question, but that's the truth. Are there any stories you would like to see published that aren't already out there? Again, so many. I'd like to see versions of basically every story we've already seen written from the perspective of marginalized, oppressed voices. And I know there are histories and personal accounts of moments and experiences that I know nothing about that need to be put on paper. I hope we get to read them all. One lighter question before I start to wrap things up. What's a TV show or movie that you love to rewatch? I love, love, love to rewatch old seasons of Bravo shows, specifically The Housewives. We cut the cord on cable a few years ago, so rather than watching new seasons of The Housewives, for example, I'll go back and binge all the old seasons and wait for the new one to release in full. It's a system. Matt and I have also binged The Office and New Girl many times together. I used to rewatch Gilmore Girls regularly, but that gives me too many feelings now. This question seemed like the perfect one to end on. What is your vision for SSR? It's so hard to know how the podcasting and social media spaces are going to continue to evolve over time, which is scary. So mostly my hope is that SSR endures in some form, regardless of those changes. I am totally in love with the community we've built around the show together. So regardless of specific form and no matter how my schedule fluctuates, I like to imagine a world where SSR remains a part of our lives as a place where we can talk about books, the other subjects that matter to us and where those things overlap. Okay, that's it for today. I hope you've enjoyed this Q&A. As always, thank you so much for listening and for your ongoing support for the podcast. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. I'll see you right back here next week. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes 
behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.